You are listening to a Nerd Room Podcast, a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Be sure to check out more from the Star Wars Commonwealth on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. everyone and welcome to the Nerd Room where we talk all things comics and movies. This is episode number 64. We're discussing Logan. I'm on your host, Tim. I'm Troy. And I'm Sanjay. Wrong franchise. Ah, man, what's the Logan voice? He, yeah. Oh. <laughs> he's very, like, gravelly. That's a good Batman. Yeah, that's supposed to be Wolverine, you know? He's like, That's ah. exactly like Batman. <laughs> okay, let's try that again. I'm Sanjay. Ah. Does that Lots make sense? of yelling. Lots of yelling to the sky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Almost Palpatine. <laughs> this isn't Origins, okay? <laughs> Logan marks the official kickoff of the 2017 comic book movie season. It is also the 10th entry into the X-Men franchise, a franchise that has been around since 2017 years with some of these characters. Yeah, I mean, I saw the first X-Men movie when I was 12 years old. So I've had this character, I mean, Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine from the time I was 12 to when I was 29. Yeah. It's quite incredible. He's been Wolverine longer than I've been, uh, more than half my life. Yeah, he's actually the, the single man that holds a record for the longest portrayal of a single superhero, which is crazy. Nine portrayals of the same character. It's unprecedented almost. But Patrick Stewart isn't too far behind him. He is at his sixth portrayal of Professor X. Wow. If you include the various cameos, particularly the one in X-Men Origins that most people actually forget about. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of like a uh, Princess Leia or what's that other guy's name from Target, World War Target, Target yeah. from Rogue yeah, One. Yeah, because like all CG, isn't it? Yeah. yeah he's also much. standing upright. Yeah, which is <laughs> weird, which is really weird. Makes I'm curious what uh, Robert Downey Jr. is at. Must be Ooh. climbing up there. Yeah, he is. There, yeah. I, we'd have to count it out, oh. but I think he's probably upwards of seven, maybe, maybe eight by the time we get to Spider-Man: Homecoming. Yeah. Okay, I fact check that one. Cool. Would, so, would you say Hugh Jackman is the single greatest performer of one character in a comic book movie as Wolverine? I give it to J.K. Simmons as J.J. <laughs> Jonah. <laughs> well, you know, he could be in um, what's his name, uh, Detective. Gordon. Gordon, Jim, yeah. yeah, yeah Jim, Gordon. James, James Gordon. Yeah. I'd have to give it to Downey, I think. You think? Downey I think he embodies the character. Jackman. Yeah. Really? I, he's had more consistent outings as the character. I feel I like his movies have been more consistent in terms of quality, but even in like the bad X-Men films, like Origins, Jackman was still like good in those films. Yeah, I think pound for pound, I gotta go with Downey. Yeah? Too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I have to it's go close. with It's close, it's close. It's 1-2 for sure. He's pretty comic book accurate. Yeah, um, yeah. and I, I think with Logan too, with Hugh Jackman as Logan, the story around him elevates the character. Like, I agree, mm-hmm. Jackman is always on point. Yes. I've always yeah. loved his portrayal of Wolverine. I can't see anyone else in that role. No. But the story around him sometimes just doesn't allow him to have the freedom to act the way he should or can. Yeah. I think this movie gives him a lot more freedom to act but sometimes I think the story does dampen his portrayal of the character. Yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. I mean, we we'll, maybe we'll get into this for our rankings a little bit later. But uh, yeah, it's definitely more up and down in terms of the X-Men universe compared to the MCU, yeah. uh, especially Iron Man films. Although, you know, Iron Man, Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3 aren't like shining pieces of happiness yeah iron man 3 is, is pretty weak but still a lot stronger and more successful than the wolverine standalones i'd say yeah, yeah. all right yeah. i'll right, we'll throw it yeah. out to the twitterverse 
And you too. You too. Yep. Uh, you know, let us know who's who's the number one. Down who's the real Jackman. Iron Man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we spent a lot of time in the last few months discussing this movie. We've had lots of trailers, lots of variations of trailers. The tone has shifted somewhat from that original Johnny Cash trailer into what we got towards the end here. We discussed last week with Chris over at Alpha Comics. Make sure you go check out Alpha Comics here in Calgary. We discussed a lot about the comic book iterations of Old Man Logan in particular, and X-23. And we kind of theorized a bit and speculated where we thought they were going to pull some of their inspiration from. And as we go through this review, I'm going to try to point out again where I think they actually did now, having seen the movie. And throughout our discussions over the last couple months, we've had varying levels, particularly myself, of excitement for this movie. I was originally way on board, and then I came right off the wagon, (laughs) and then I slid back around towards the end of this marketing, marketing campaign. campaign. Thank you. Oh, we both said at the same time. <laughs> Towards the end of the marketing campaign, I came right back on board with this. And even last week, I expressed how excited I was for them pulling in some of these stories. I just want to quickly gauge each individual here as far as your excitement level going into this film. As your ass is in the seat, <laughs> how are you feeling? You know, I haven't read a single Wolverine comic, or an X-Men comic for that matter, probably. Actually, that's not true. I read X-Men Onslaught. Um, uh, uh, but I was super jacked. Like, going into it, I've been reading the reviews, and I've been hearing people hyping this movie up, saying, you know, this is the best thing since The Dark Knight. This movie's going to slay. This movie's going to kill it. So I'm like, okay, I'm really pumped. I'm really excited. You know, I got my popcorn ready. I'm sitting in the seat. The theater's half empty, mind you, which is crazy to me. But yeah, I was 10 out of 10 excitement level. Yeah, I was right there with you, man. I was super hyped for this film. You know, I, I, I got a lot of comic. Uh, I got a lot of Wolverine comics going on. I, I follow the X-Men. So, you know, I'm pretty I'm pretty fair when it comes with uh, Wolverine properties and X-Men properties. And when I got on my seat, man, I was pumped, especially <laughs> uh, after seeing the Deadpool 2 yeah. trailer. Yeah. Teaser. I was yeah. really amped up for this movie. Yeah, it is hard to stay away from the critical reception, the critical response for movies, especially when they're getting praise. I find more so now than ever, either a movie is praised or a movie is just crapped all over. There doesn't seem to be much in between anymore, especially with the last few movies that we've gotten. Like when you're looking at Batman vs. Superman vs. Civil War, it was Mm. like, this is the best movie ever versus this is the worst movie ever. Your opinion, your opinion. (laughs) I'm just saying, I'm just taking from a critical response and how that... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's an interesting point too, especially when you bring in the factor like uh, Avengers. Avenger, which was praised like crazy. And then part two came out and people were kind of like, but the thing is, it wasn't necessarily a bad movie. It just wasn't as good as part one, but therefore Mm. people kind of like put at the bottom end yeah yeah Yeah. fair enough yeah and the the praise has been heaped on this thing it has a 93 plus percent certified fresh rating on rotten tomatoes it's been praised for the darker greater take on logan compared to his other outings his other solo outings it's being complimented for its transcendence beyond the comic book movie genre itself and really hailed for the individual performances in there particularly from hugh jackman and patrick stewart and it's the character story beyond the spectacle that is a comic book movie that I think a lot of people endured to. And people or critics are calling for Oscar nominations for this. There's, like you said, 
Sanjay, people are saying this is the best movie, the best comic book movie of all time, it's even relative to The Dark Knight. Yeah. People are calling it Marvel's Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. And when you look at other websites like comicbook.com, their composite ranking has it second all time, just behind The Dark Knight and just ahead of the likes of Civil War, Guardians of the Galaxy, Iron Man, Avengers. Wow. So going into this, this, this is a universally praised movie, something that we're not always used to getting. And I found it really hard to dampen my expectations because <laughs> yeah. of the praise that was going into this. And I felt that, I agree, I walked into this theater hyped beyond no end. I'm excited for Hugh Jackman. I'm excited for the return of Patrick Stewart. And I'm also excited for the adaptation, or what I thought was going to be the adaptation, of the Old Man Logan storyline. And I think that's that's hard to to get around, that that level of excitement, because I found myself almost too high coming into this. And there's aspects of this movie that I love, but there's also aspects of this movie that I just wasn't pleased with. And before we really get into our our full review here and breaking this down kind of in a more chronological style like we usually do with our movie reviews, I just just want to throw one thing out there, because this is something that I've personally been struggling with over the last few reviews we've done. It's, and it's trying to find that middle ground as a fanboy, as a reviewer. I recorded the Talk Star Wars Roundtable. So that's dropping this month. And it's, it's just a group of Star Wars fans over on the Talk Star Wars feed where we discuss different things by bringing in the listeners and they ask kind of live questions. It's a lot of fun. Had a lot of fun recording. So go check that out later this month. But one of the topics that we did discuss was our responsibility as fans to make an attempt to shine the positivity on these films while not always focusing on the negative. And focusing on the negative is a very easy thing to do. It's a very easy thing to pick apart someone's work. And the thing that I've been struggling with is is walking this fine line between being completely and outright honest with my review and then not being overly negative because I don't ever want to be known as the negative guy. I know I kick around (laughs) DC and some part of me feels like that's just because it's a little bit funny. (laughs) Um, But when we have this type of praise being heaped on a movie and I walk out of the movie, spoiler for potentially how I feel about this, not on that same level or that same plane of excitement, I, I really struggled this week putting together a review. And I just want the listeners to know that, you know, I acknowledge our responsibility of being reviewers, of being podcasters, to not only point out the things that maybe we don't like, but also to praise the things they did well, because that's what this genre needs, is to be praised for the things it does well. And never mistake any sort of negativity, particularly from me, (laughs) um, for some sort of toxic fanboy hate on DC or the aspects that aren't the MCU because that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to give an opinion and I'm never going to turn away anyone else's opinion. I'm I'm very welcoming of whoever loved this film or whoever to comment, to question, to debate the merits of the film itself. So I, I just really wanted to throw that out there because like and the, the kind of the point I'm trying to make is that everyone, and this is what you said to me, Sanjay, everyone sees this movie in a different light. Everyone mm-hmm. wants something different from a movie. Yeah. And don't take any sort of negativity from this <laughs> and as me trying to ruin your experience for a movie. I'm going to judge this movie based on the merits that I see, and you guys are going to do the same thing. But that's just what it is. It's our own opinion, and we welcome other opinions. So that being said, <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm just going to inject here. Uh, like as uh, the great Kevin Smith said, you know, it's our duty as comic book fans to go out and see these movies. You know, even if you 
if you hear negative things about them, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to enjoy them. I mean, there's certain movies that are critically panned that we all have. We had a whole episode of uh, hidden gems or, you know, ones that we were kind of like our guilty pleasures. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of funny, Tim. You know, it seems like, um, you know, when we do these uh, podcasts, you know, I, I think like I bring like the levity and you're like the more like serious guy. <laughs> but then like when we like go and we watch our movies, it's like flipped. It's like I want the more like serious DC yeah. comics and you like the more like comedic MCU. So it's kind of interesting the, like the dichotomy there where you're like, oh, yeah, like the MCU is like my gem. And I'm like, no, oh, man, I like it dark and gritty. Like I want to see more guns and more violence and where, where do you fit on this, uh, Troy? <laughs> this, this wide yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm in the middle grounds, man. I appreciate yeah. both properties. I just I love comic books so much that I just want to see them adapted well, right? Yeah. So I just expect the most out of them. Simple yeah. as that. Yeah. And this movie, a lot of people expected a lot out of it. And the box office really reflects that. This movie pulled in $88 million, just over $88 million over its first opening weekend, which puts it fourth all-time for opening for an X-Men franchise film, just behind X-Men Days of Future Past, which is a pretty impressive feat. This is the highest-grossing solo outing for Logan for Wolverine, and it's the second highest behind Deadpool for the franchise for a solo outing. So it's a pretty impressive haul, even taking in almost a quarter of a billion dollars globally over the weekend yeah whoa (laughs) so this is a big movie this is a big opening this is on par with winter soldier with guardians with these type of solo outing movies and being that x-men apocalypse only scored 65 million dollars last year during around the same time frame the other wolverine movie only did 53 that was only a couple of years ago, I think 2013 or 14. 13 or 14, yeah. I think 13, yeah. So this movie not only has the hype got behind it, but I think that they've put a lot of effort into the marketing campaign for this. This was a very different movie from a marketing standpoint. You look at what Deadpool did, and you look at what Wolverine, or sorry, Logan did, and it, was, it contrasted quite heavily from the other CGI spectacles that we've seen in the past. This movie yeah. was pitched as a Western. We're looking at the IMAX poster <laughs> right now, and it looks incredible. It does not look like a comic book movie. And I think that has a big part as to why people were drawn to this a bit more. They were looking for something different. Yeah, I mean, the director James Mangold here, he said, uh, when he pitched it, he mentioned something about it being like a bloody version of Little Miss Sunshine, like a road trip movie. (laughs) Seems a bit demented. (laughs) (laughs) But it makes sense when he says that. Um, Yeah, this is something totally different. You know, people I think are getting a little bit sick, not sick and tired, but I think general audiences are getting a little bit... um, bored with the traditional comic book origin story where you have the hero gains his powers you know those movies it seems like people are wanting to some more experimentation whether that's an r-rated logan film or breaking the fourth wall in deadpool it seems like fox is willing to do that and you know they've had great success with uh deadpool and logan doing that they found their niche Mm -hmm. and that's more violent and more swearing yeah and it's adapting these grittier tone. Like, we got into that with The Dark Knight, and then they really swung away from that with the MCU. And now we see them kind of going back into a different sort of dark and gritty. This is a more realistic, I think even more realistic than The Dark Knight from the standpoint of a comic book movie. The Dark Knight was realistic because it felt like it could happen in the real world. Right. This, yeah. not as much. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Yeah. So when did you guys see this? I saw this opening day Thursday on the IMAX screen. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned uh, on my Twitter, it's my 11th straight comic book movie that I've seen in theaters. 
So I, I, that's my Iron Man streak now. Have you guys beaten that? Have you guys taken a look? In... What does that take you back to? So the only one I missed was Days of Future Past when I was studying. So I didn't see that one, but I caught up on the last, I think, like three or four years. I'd have to be pretty close to that. I'm yeah. trying to think back to where the, like maybe as, how far back is Dark Knight Rises? Dark Knight Rises 2012. Yeah, it might have been since like Avengers Dark Knight Rises. I've seen everything wow. straight. Wow, that's impressive. That's just for Thank superhero you. films in general? Yeah. The theatrical release? Yeah. yeah. I, oh, that's that's tough. I mean, I've gone back all the way. Shoot. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, Troy I might missed be anything. Iron I've, Man. I've gone back. Yeah, because I've gone back all the way since Iron Man. Yeah, wow. exactly. Iron Man, Spider-Man, all that. Yeah, I yeah. used to Kick-Ass. Oh, I didn't see oh, Kick-Ass. Okay, because Kick-Ass 2. Kick-Ass 2, I missed that one too. Yeah, I didn't there. see that, no. Yeah. yeah. And so I didn't see me. Kingsman in theaters either. Oh, okay. Oh, I wasn't including Kingsman. Okay, I was yeah. just doing straight, like, superhero. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. You got me there. Yeah. No, I saw this on Saturday at its peak of its hype. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it was Thursday night. I saw it in AVX. Uh, like you said, the theater wasn't as full as I thought it was going to be. No, that was, like, uh, half full. I'm going to say mine was about three quarters. People were amped up for it. Yeah. People were excited to see this. And the opening sequence of this film, I, I, I heard that there was an opening <laughs> credit scene, yeah. and I really didn't think much of it at the time. I was always waiting for the post credit scene to be some sort of tease, either for X-23 or Deadpool. Right. But Fox has flipped the script here and done a pre-credit scene teasing Deadpool 2. This was a welcome surprise for me to see Ryan Reynolds flip open the hood, yes. drop the F-bomb, yeah. and just have this just brilliant interaction with himself. <laughs> yeah. Like everything from him running into the, the phone booth and the Superman theme music oh, playing. Loved it. Yeah, it was it was beautifully taking too long to change. Yeah, yeah. that's incredible. It's well executed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah and it yeah. just makes me feel better about all the directorial changes and the story changes we're getting for Deadpool too. Um, they seem to have kept that tone, but also did something very different. And did you notice on the side of the phone booth it said Nathan Summers coming C U M M M coming soon, which oh, is really? Nathan Summers is Cable. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Or or X Men because I guess there's two. Like, there's the X-Men, yeah. and then there's Cable. Yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. And it's, again, breaking that fourth wall, because he yeah. saw up on the marquee, it said Logan playing yeah. tonight, and they guess awesome. the Wolverine, or Logan, I keep interchanging them. Yeah. <laughs> saw the Logan poster in the background there. So there's a lot of fun. It was yeah. a great way. I got people really excited, like you said, Troy. Like, yeah. People were like, wow, this is impressive. I'm ready to go. And it's an interesting way. It kind of contrasts what Marvel and other companies have done in the past, even Fox, yep. with yeah. this tease at the end. And this tease at the start to get people jacked up, right. it really worked for me. You know, you, you bring up an interesting point, And I'm just going to read a quote here from the director, James Mangold, when he was speaking to the Toronto Sun. Not a local paper, but a newspaper in Canada. You may may have heard of it. He said, <clears throat> I'm going to do my best James Mangold voice. The only way... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the only way we came out with a different movie was trying to do it differently. So I was pretty fanatical about saying, if this is how these other movies are doing it, we're going the other way. If there's normally a cameo or an end credit scene, we're not doing that. That's essentially turning it into a product that has to come out of the widget machine the same way every time. And that's not how the best movies are going to get made in any genre. So he's uh, throwing down the gauntlet a little bit there with the uh, Marvel uh, post-credit scenes. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. You know, this beef between Fox and Marvel, I think it's widening. Yeah, you can see it there. <laughs> like, I, I think it it comes down a little bit now that 
that Fox is, like I said, seemingly found its niche. It's found its groove. Mm-hmm. They know what they're doing, or at least seem to know what they're doing. And we're going to talk a little bit here in a couple seconds about the continuity and what they're building there and how they're kind of ignoring that. <laughs> but because they found their footing, I feel like they can be a little more bold. They're not trying to emulate so much the MCU anymore. They're doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. The MCU, Kevin Feige has explicitly said, you'll never hear us drop an F-bomb. Yeah. Really? And the violence is there, but it's really toned down. You're never going to see blood splatter or anything like that in yeah. the MCU. So MCU has their niche. Mm-hmm. Fox has found their niche. DC is looking for theirs. <laughs> yeah. They will find it, I think. Uh, at some point. Find, yeah. They got villains. They got Wonder Woman. Yeah, they do have yeah, villains. Yeah, they, we they have villains. a Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, going back to the director, though, I really feel like he he found his niche. Um, yeah. He did start off with The Wolverine, and I yeah. felt like there was a lot of potential in that film. And I feel like this time he really got to execute those things, you know, this time around with uh, Logan. Yeah. And it's interesting that they went back to James Mangold because yeah. it's usually, especially with the way the Wolverine performed, like people are always behind this character and it did make a ton of money. But usually at that point, they kind of pitch the director and try something new. Mm-hmm. But they let him come back and that may have benefited the movie because they went back and he learned from his mistakes, at least some of them, I think, yeah. particularly yeah. when it comes to allowing Hugh Jackman to be Wolverine, to be Logan. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I think that is very true, Troy. It's a great point to, to bring up that he has learned from his mistakes. Yeah, yeah I think uh, Hugh Jackman had a lot to do with that as well. I think they really get along together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he, you know, he said, if I'm going to do this one more time, I want to have James Mangold. Right. Yeah. Don't quote me on that, but I'm sure that's exactly how it went down. Well, he's very praiseworthy <laughs> of what James Mangold did in The Wolverine, yes. as yeah. well as what he did here. So I think having that continuity, and Hugh Jackman, I'm sure he's a producer on this, so he's got a heavy hand, heavy investment, particularly because he had announced that this was his last portrayal. He wants to go out with the bang. He doesn't want to leave this franchise on an X-Men Origins Wolverine type note. You don't want to leave a character, especially a character you've been portraying for 17 years, who is basically the character that people are going to remember you by forever. You do not want to leave that on a sour note, particularly with the fandom. Because then you're always going to be thinking, what if? Should I come back? I told him this was my last time, but I have to do it again. So I think that he landed on something that he was satisfied with. Even Patrick Stewart announced before the movie dropped, this was his last time yeah. as Professor X. And they were both very happy with how their character arcs ended in this film. And I think it's going to be great by the time we get to the end of this review for us to give our individual opinion to see if we agree how those two in particular, how their arcs ended with this. And if we are satisfied with the way the 17-year journey with these two characters has ended. So... Let's get into the movie itself. We're going to kick it off here discussing the timeline of it. This is a <laughs> particular point of contention with me with the X-Men. I love myself some continuity. I tried to break it down the last couple episodes. I know it's not as easy when I'm speaking about it to visualize. So someday I'm going to throw it up there. But <laughs> this continues to drive me up the wall. I don't like to start on a negative note. Yeah. Um, so this is just a small nitpick. This really doesn't have much effect on the film overall, except for people like me that really pay attention to this, <laughs> these nods. And this movie set in 2029, so five years-ish after, six years after the events of what I thought was the end credit scene in Days of Future Past with the reawokened or the 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 rebirthed x-men universe coming off of the 1973 days of future past timeline split Mm -hmm. but one of the first quotes that they drop out here at some point when we're referring to continuity is there hasn't been a new mutant born in 25 years so that would take us all the way back to 2004 in this timeline okay and if you remember x3 x2 
Yeah. Like X3 was 2006. There's kids running around. Yes. Yeah. In X-Men Days of Future Past post-credit scene, there's kids running around that school. Yeah. That makes no <laughs> sense to me. None whatsoever. This yeah. throws this into a complete cluster. <laughs> drives yeah. me nuts. Drives me off the wall. Like this movie focuses in. I said this last week. This movie focuses in a lot on mutations. This whole franchise, actually, genetics, cloning, human manipulation. Even this movie itself, playing God, and this is an overarching theme that we see throughout the entirety of this franchise. And if we go right back to the first lines in X-Men in the opening credits, scene, I went back and rewatched this. There's a quote from professor X saying mutation. It is the key to our evolution it enables us to evolve from a single celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow and normally taking thousands of years, but every few hundred millennia evolution leaps forward. Those are the first words we ever heard Professor X, Patrick Stewart, speak in an X-Men film. This was followed up in X2 with a similar type of opening (laughs) monologue that says, and I'm going to paraphrase, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Are mutants the next link in the evolutionary chain, or are they simply a new species of humanity fighting for their share of the world? So I do not know why they just didn't simply say the X-Gene was dying. I'm going to read... One more thing. Here. <laughs> He's got a book, guys, and it's even like uh, tabbed it's and everything. Tagged. Oh, yeah. This is from the Old Man Logan storyline. Okay. Here. This is why this particularly drives me nuts. This is Emma Frost talking. This is about halfway through the book. There's, and she's talking about how there's no mutants left. She says, There's 20 of us now, and not a single mutant born in close to 40 years. We were a blip, Logan, nothing more than a genetic anomaly. Why they didn't go down this path and just didn't simply say the X gene is dying out. You can play off this or you can riff off this whole thing with Wolverine losing his powers, with Professor X losing his powers, with Caliban losing his powers. It just drives me mental that they just (laughs) didn't take the time to set this up properly. Like, I don't know. This could have been a beautiful way to close out this overarching arc of mutation genetics this, just saying that they were simply an anomaly, that they were on the verge of extinction. And this is why we don't see the mutants. But we get, and spoiler, I guess we should say spoilers for this whole movie. Yeah, this yeah. thing is going to be spoiled I guess that's somewhat like implied. left out on the hot summer day. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually we do get the revelation that it was the transigen company in the cornstarch there, whatever, corn syrup, that yeah. poisoned all the mutants. Yeah. Like that just seems like a throwaway line that doesn't matter. It doesn't fit into this universe it's a throwaway plot kind of it is but like there seems to be like i just like this idea that there's something this overarching theme in this whole continuity of the x-men universe and the fact that they didn't just take a second to read this old man logan book and put that in there (laughs) it drives me nuts but if they said it hasn't been like a mutant born in 40 years and that would be like what 2060 i'm not saying i'm not saying the 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 exact yeah like number or whatever but just the idea that the gene was just a, a blip an anomaly amongst the rest of the evolutionary chain here and that's why we don't see the mutants anymore it was it was nature's test and it failed and then they started going extinct and that's that's simply it well they probably want to set up future x-men movies after this right so they they kind of evolved into that by saying hey we can just make them ourselves or you know and then they can have you know once they figure out the cornstarch get rid of that and then you can start having mutants again I guess there's some implication there that once they've killed all the mutants, there's, I guess, I, I don't know. You know, I think this is a good time to talk about continuity. I mean, we're all talking about it now. So James Mangold, you know, he, he has a lot of quotes. He has a lot of interesting quotes, you know, in preparing for this movie and uh, pumping it up. And one of his quotes, well, several of his quotes I'll read, but one of them he said, you know, this is a film about characters, not information. 
in regards to continuity. So he really wanted to focus on the characters and less so on this happened in X1, so we got to make sure that, you know, it carries forward. And so when he's talking about that, he says, uh, this is an art or an interview he had with Vice, okay. uh, the website. Have you guys read this before? No. No? no. Okay. So James Mangold, director of Logan, says, I question the wisdom of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in general. Pretty bold statement off the bat. He said, one thing everyone's concerned about is the creativity and quality of these kinds of movies. And if that's the case, then it seems to me that the first order of business would be figuring out why they're not more interesting or exciting. In many ways, that has a lot to do with freedom. Fans and the internet sites that serve the fans put a lot of stress on continuity. Tim included. (laughs) A massive amount. (laughs) And the idea that you should be able to cut these movies into one continuous nine-hour, and he mentions Berlin Alexanderplatz of comic bookdom. That's nothing innately wrong with that, I guess, but it's a counter movie. When you find yourself in the captain's chair of one of these movies, you feel a little like Houdini. You're in a restraint system, and you're trying to figure out how to get out. Having made one of these movies already, it occurred to me that the way to get out is to build a movie that functions for anyone, not just people who have seen the other movies. You have to let go of whatever you need to let go of to make the movie function, in the same way that every comic book artist in the history of comic books has let go of what their predecessors did. I think fans would be a lot happier with the movies if they looked at the comic books the way we look at Shakespeare, where we invite directors to take the material wherever they want. And then we judge them by the results. So a lot to digest there. Just want to get your thoughts uh, after hearing it's uh, interesting the Mangold. If, it's interesting if he'd say that, though, if there was success to the Wolverine. Would he be saying those same things? I mean, he, yeah. obviously he says he's learned his mistakes, basically, from the mm-hmm. last movie. But if that was a hit, because that was clearly led up to be another movie taking place after that film. If yeah. that was a success, would he be saying the same thing? Would we even had this movie? Probably not. So that's mm-hmm. interesting, but... Yeah, yeah, I find he's being a bit hypocritical. Though. Yeah, <laughs> like no, seriously, because yeah. he he's one of the writers. He did the story on this film, and he's there's specific plot points in there that are asking the audience to recollect back to previous movies. That's right. Specifically, the Statue of Liberty yeah. is mentioned in here, and Wolverine or Logan says that was a long time ago. Charles, mm-hmm. yeah. there was the adamantium bullet, which goes back to X Men Origins Wolverine. Yeah, there's the I saved you from a life of cage fighting when Professor X is going on to Logan. So you can't ask your audience. <laughs> <laughs> to recall back to previous movies by name dropping things specifically in your film and then come out and say look continuity doesn't matter yeah. if don't acknowledge it then yeah. just don't say anything well i think he's just trying to tie back like little easter eggs but like they don't have to necessarily make a hundred percent sense like you know he says like that happened a long time ago you know fans that saw the first one like oh i remember that in x-men one it's just like a nice like throwaway line that doesn't really mean anything. Like it's just like there, so that you can recollect back to. But we live in a post Avengers world. We live in a post MCU world where yeah. the continuity means some people are yeah. always looking for Easter eggs. Go on YouTube. There's hundreds of YouTube yeah. channels picking out Easter eggs, and I can accept the fact that maybe these events happened in the new timeline in slightly different order, mannerisms, or whatever. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So that that it doesn't mean that the events of Statue of Liberty didn't happen. But I, I just find it extremely, like I said, hypocritical <laughs> that you say something like that. I, Connie doesn't matter. But then you're focusing so, not heavily, but the, some of the story refers back to previous things. Hmm. Like that's asking the audience to remember those movies, to have seen those movies. And you know what? It doesn't matter for the plot at the end of the day. Like mm-hmm. I think that the continuity that they try to adhere to in here 
like even if they didn't do any of this, it's not going to change the movie yeah. for what it is. It's just I, I find that in the world we live in, in the film, as far as comic book genre, there is a little bit of responsibility to if you're not going to adhere to continuity to just leave it alone then just allow it to sit on its own and they kind of did that here but they kind of didn't and that's a little bit what bothers me about the whole timeline perspective there's like i know the x-men universe is messed up to begin with yeah (laughs) Yeah. and i just don't see why each individual writer can't see that and just be like i'm not going to even step on this i'm going to not acknowledge anything Mm-hmm. that's why like what they do with Deadpool yeah. Deadpool did it the best way I kind of find kind of, uh, <laughs> I find it funny though how um, a lot of these studios just kind of pick out Marvel like I don't I don't get it. like Marvel never calls out Fox Marvel never calls out DC but we've had uh, Suicide Squad's director Air calling out Marvel <laughs> and we've had now uh, Fox calling out Marvel so clearly Marvel's doing something right that's <laughs> well that's people, like... <laughs> people call out uh, like Downey Jr's called out DC and stuff before yeah, so it yeah, goes around true. it's just that's a true. friendly rivalry it's a fun poke yeah, yeah fun poke, but yeah. I think like you know with continuity you know, it, it's there, but, like, think about this. So you have X-Men, uh, The Last Stand. You know, we all agree, kind of a subpar film. Average at best. Oh. X-Men 3. And they had the Juggernaut, who's, like, one of my favorite X-Men villains. Yeah. And they did him so poorly. Horrible. Yeah. It was such an awful display of what the Juggernaut really is. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm Juggernaut, bitch. Oh, I'm why would he say Australian, that? Australian, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so my thing is, like, you know, if they keep a continuity, so they do a new X-Men movie and Juggernaut's the villain... If you keep him with continuity, you're going to have to include that horrible version of Juggernaut. Whereas if you don't keep a continuity, you don't have to explain. Just be like, here's a super sweet Juggernaut that we're giving you that's more comic accurate. Yeah. You know, so sometimes continuity can be an anchor. I, I think it works better in the comic books. Like uh, what DC's doing in the comic books, it's it's creativity over continuity. And that mm-hmm. works really well, especially going into Rebirth. Whereas movie franchises, it's a franchise. So I think you should have that connecting tissue between each film. That's just yeah. me, though. And you know what? For, for this movie, I, I, I don't want to linger on this anymore. I know it's a particular sticking point for myself, and I'm quite passionate about it. And I've expressed that <laughs> numerous times on here on the podcast. So we're going to move past this. And I'm going to say explicitly that I think this sits in the new time stream. Okay. And this whole 25 year without a mutant thing. I think you can just excuse that and say whatever. Like, I, I really don't know how to get around it. And yeah. I'm not going to let that kind of pull down this conversation or the movie. So my my theory about where this film takes place is actually see I think it takes place in the old timeline. So Days of Future Past, this takes place before they go back in time and fix everything. So I, maybe like this is like that horrible future that they're all predicting in Days of Future Past, and this is what comes to be. And then when Logan comes uh, back in time to like the seventies, then like he, because he went back in time and changed something, then this Logan film won't happen in the new timeline. So Sentinels already came and took out a lot of the I'm X-Men? thinking, yeah, I'm thinking Sentinels came, took out all the X-Men, and then, you know, they escaped. Charles and Wolverine are the only two that escaped because you don't see any other X-Men in there. But I thought... Yeah, there's, it heavily implied that Charles killed, killed the X-Men. Killed the X-Men, yeah. <laughs> implied that he killed seven mutants. We don't know which seven. Well, I say it's explicitly in Westchester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I... It's a big town. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> let's, let's... That's, that's, you know, continuity, you know, aside, you know, that is one like thing that it does, you know, we do always want to see like how these films fit together. Of course, yeah. And so for me, you know, that was one thing too, that I was like, well, this doesn't, you know, if you include continuity, it's not a very good film in terms of building on cinematic universe. Right. No, but let, let's move on past this. <laughs> let's just accept it is what it is. Like every time we discuss yeah. these movies, we accept it is what it is. Let's get into the bulk of this movie here. So we're introduced here to Logan, to James Howlett. He's aging. Uh, he's losing his powers. 
the adamantium is poisoning him. I really like that aspect, how they work that into the, yeah. Yeah. the script of the character. I think that's a cool way for him to be losing his powers. It's, it's not just some natural it's thing genius. or yeah. something else happening. It makes sense. He's had that in him since the 1800s. Yeah. It's a long time to have <laughs> yeah. a metal fused to your bones. Um, he's working Didn't as... he have that in in like the 1970s? Like, oh, yeah, 60s. In, uh, yeah, 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 Three Mile yeah. Island. Right, yeah, the right. Weapon X project. Yeah, yeah. 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 So you're With right. the so Deadpool. Yeah. <laughs> Erased. Yeah. <laughs> no continuity to it. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> but he has been spending his time working as a chauffeur. And he's doing this to essentially make some money to buy pills for Professor X, who he is taking care of on the Mexican side of the border. So mutants have become somewhat fugitives in the States, it seems. Particularly Charles Xavier. He's been deemed a weapon of mass destruction. His brain, because of what happened in Westchester, it's something along the lines of four to six hundred people were injured yeah. because yeah. he is now having these seizures. So he's losing control of his powers. He's got some sort of brain disorder that isn't allowing, like whether it's Alzheimer's or something like that. It's not really explicitly said, but he has lost control of his powers. And that, that kind of sets the, the frame for, for Logan here. But when we're looking at him. I, I made this prediction last week <laughs> that for half the film, we we're going to see Logan as this pacifist. He was going to have pulled away his claws, refused to fight because of some sort of emotional trauma, maybe related to the death of the majority of the X-Men. Yep. That turned out to be a very wrong prediction, my friends. That's all right, Tim. We'll forgive you. (laughs) As soon as we see Wolverine here, he gets out and beats the crap out of four or five gang members that are trying to jack his rims. Yeah, you don't and mess with Wolverine. No, and we're we're thrown right into the deep end of the R rating here. Not only with the violence, but with the swearing. That that kind of stuck out to me a bit. It felt slightly out of place from time to time. Like I've said before, I do like the odd F bomb in a film, but to me, this was right in my face. <laughs> this was a lot of F bombs from from Hugh Jackman. He was a very angry man. <laughs> well, do you blame him? Someone's trying to steal your rims. You know, maybe he's hungover. Yeah, and he's tired. He's old now. Yeah, yeah. you know, he's crotchety. He's like, damn kids. Get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of um, cleaning sword yeah, uh, going on there, yeah. right? Yeah. That old man syndrome. But um, yeah, I, th- I felt there was a lot of F-bombs, kind of a little too much. I feel like they kind of abused the R-rated um, rating a little bit with uh, some of the gore and some of uh, the language for the most part. Yeah. Uh, see, I'm the opposite. Like, bring yeah. it on. Like, bring on the F-bombs. You don't get them in DC. You don't get them in MCU. Yeah. So you got to get them somewhere. Yeah. And you know what? Like, I feel like that's how Wolverine would really talk if he was, like, living in the world. Like, he wouldn't be like, hey, bub, like, get out of here. An Australian accent for some reason. He was Australian in, in the, the Spider-Man uh, Super Friends cartoon. So, yeah. I love that you know that. Yeah, I do. saw that episode. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, see, like, no, I feel like he would be dropping F-bombs and he would be clawing people to death. Like, he wouldn't be, like... Like, what was it, X-Men 1? I don't think he killed anyone because they, they couldn't show him clawing people. It was always, like, in the animated series, it's always robots. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. he had Berserker mode in X1 or 2, didn't he? When he uh, jumped a couple X2. times. X2, yeah, yeah, even in Apocalypse, you saw him yeah. in Berserker. That's yeah. cool, that's cool. Yeah, yeah Days of yeah. Future Past. So they, they have shown him in Berserker mode, but not quite like this. This yeah. was very violent. I personally didn't have, like, I'm not, a, I'm not someone that enjoys gore or extreme violence like that. Uh, but I didn't mind this. I felt yeah. that it was appropriate for the character and they took the right liberties and they went with it and they committed to it. And I think that, you know, in, in X-Men Apocalypse, we did see them go to almost the brink that you saw the blood splatter. Yes. In that. Yeah. But you didn't see quite the claws going through the head, through the arm, 
like I think it was appropriate. The language kind of pulled me out a bit. Like it's not that I'm offended by swearing or that. Like yeah. I'm a big fan of that. <laughs> but I felt that because of the character we've seen eight times before this, we didn't get him saying that. Like yeah. I just it, he seemed to, and maybe you can attribute this a bit to like the nature of who he is now. Like he's this old beat down man. Right. Yeah. But I just felt that that pulled me out a bit. Like I I liked it sometimes. I liked it more from Professor X. To be completely oh, so honest funny, with you, yeah. his lines were better. His how he kind of changed from this, you know upstanding Westchester <laughs> kind of bow tied yeah, type gentleman. guy yeah, yeah. gentleman into this gruffled like slouched down in a wheelchair swearing and giving crap to the albino guy that he keeps leaving him <laughs> with I thought that was good that was hilarious yeah, the liberties they took great. with that character yeah. I think benefited it over top of Logan but I, I the violence in this first sight I, I liked it like I yeah. think this set the tone for the movie and they maintained that tone through the entirety of it and I, I don't think they shied away and they used that R rating I think for the violence appropriately like they wanted to make a film that showed this type of violence and I think they did yeah it, you know can't argue that no um <laughs> like are you like no you can't <laughs> no you can't yes i can <laughs> um another character that were introduced here early on is the albino mutant that is living with them known as caliban now we have seen this character before in the x franchise he was in x-men apocalypse yeah he was the the mutant that was collecting and using doing some of that trade with mystique Psylocke there and- yeah, yeah Psylocke yeah, was there right. with her um this is a different actor this is steve merchant 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 uh, yeah, yeah ricky gervais show yeah, he's ricky more G- of a comedian yeah, yeah he's fantastic i love yeah. him in this role i think the character itself is heavily misused in this in this movie but he is another welcomed addition to this cast i think particularly in these early scenes and his interaction with professor x and logan i felt that they lacked a, a true backstory for this character and maybe we really didn't need it but I just felt that I didn't understand the connection between Logan and Caliban. I didn't really get why he was there over top of a beast. Troy and I, right. we talked about this last week about mm-hmm. why isn't it beast there? Yeah. Um, that, that to me would have made a bit more sense. If you didn't want to go down the path of doing the blue makeup or having someone back or whatever, you could have just said that his X gene is dying too. And he yeah. is, can't turn blue anymore. He isn't blue anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Especially they've been trying to stop the blue syndrome basically yeah. in yeah. the last two movies. So <laughs> yeah, why not true. go that route? Yeah. Uh, I think they used Caliban because, like, you know, he helped the uh, government, I think it was, that was, like, hunting down these mutants and killing yeah. them. So, you know, it would make sense that he'd be one of the last mutants left because he already hunted down yeah. the remaining ones. And so maybe he's trying to atone for his sins because, you know, he didn't want to help them. He was kind of forced into helping them later on in the movie. Yeah. But going back to Beast, he's always had a great relationship with the government himself, too, yeah. right? Yeah, that's the other true. Films. But maybe yeah. they killed him. Maybe, you know, Frazier wasn't available. Yeah, maybe. It's true. And yeah. he's like, filming I felt Frazier, like... too. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt that Caliban could have been on the other side anyways. Like, they made mention to him, the, the Reavers, that you helped us before hunt down the mutants. Let's do it again type thing and i agree maybe he's trying to repent his sins before he eventually dies but i just thought that they could have leveraged another x character in there someone that we were familiar with yes that may have made that relationship between the two of them a bit more emotional in that connection because we've seen it's been really established in the new timeline with apocalypse days of future past and x-men first class that beast and professor x have this really tight relationship yes to yeah. the point where he stays back and is the one injecting him in days of future past i think it is yeah yeah so, so that would have been great to see yeah because I, I feel like we're kind of missing some x-men even though i know it's a standalone logan film yeah. Yeah. how great would it be to this to be in this universe seeing some you know near death um mutants x-men yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but maybe you know like you said like professor x killed the rest of the x-men and maybe you know they really wanted to focus on the relationship between logan and professor x and they didn't want any other x-men probably yeah. like 
Cloudy, because, you know, then we would have had some emotional connection between Beast and Professor X. Whereas this one, like, Caliban and Professor X, yeah, I guess there's, like, a little bit of relationship. But, like, he's just there for, like, comedy. And yeah, he's, like, a plot joke. device. Yeah. Like, you know, they hunt, they use him so that he can hunt down Logan and Prof yeah. X. He's nothing more than that, I don't think. Like, he's yeah. just literally, like, he's at a plot device. Someone yeah, they yeah. can hunt down the Logan and Professor X in particular when they do take off. He kind of looks like the zombie from Dawn of the Dead, like the original George A. Romero version. <laughs> if you ever see that, like the uh, Harry Krishna zombie with like the blue makeup. I don't know. I watch a lot of horror films. So <laughs> horror fans, if you, you'll get the reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Professor X here. This is a character that we have mentioned just a few minutes ago. But let's quickly discuss this character, in particular Patrick Stewart's turn as Professor X here. I think that beyond Hugh Jackman, he is the shining light as far as character portrayal in this movie. I was just enthralled with his acting here. I was engaged the entire time he was on the screen. I felt that he gave Logan this emotional focal point. And, and the eventuality of the reveal that he is the one responsible for killing that, like, I felt that they wrote this character so well. And I can see why Patrick Stewart was happy with how this character turned out towards the end of this film. What are you guys' thoughts on Patrick Stewart playing Professor X here? Is this his best turn as Professor X? Yeah, he knocked it out of the park. He was actually... Um in my opinion, the best thing of this movie. I think he he kind of stole the show from the scenes that he had from Logan, from Hugh Jackman. He was yeah. incredible. Uh, you know, James McAvoy has some big shoes to fill now going forward in these uh, X-Men films because Patrick Stewart laid it down. Like, it, people are talking Oscar buzz, but I don't think they're talking enough about his performance yeah. for a supporting actor. He's, yeah. he's, he's great. I, I would support that. Yeah. Get it? Support that. Ah. <laughs> I, no, I agree. Uh, Professor X, James, or what's, not James Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Why did I say James? James McAvoy probably said Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you uh, infused me. You know, he accepted me. No, I think he laid it down. He did a great job. Um, you know, he was, he was comedic, but he was also touching. Like some of the scenes, you know, you kind of felt for him because you saw him, as you said, like this outstanding guy, like this like Westchester guy with like the bow ties. And then you saw him, like, beaten and, like, down. And, like, this guy who lost his mind. Like, he was the mutant with the world's greatest mind. Not even the mutant. Like, the world's greatest mind right there. You know? It was yeah. almost like, like kind of like Stephen Hawking in a way. Like, this, like, tragic story of this man who, you know, is so brilliant. But, like, he's losing he's losing his mind. Not that Stephen Hawking's losing his mind. But, you know, like, he's confined to a wheelchair. And it just right. felt like kind of like some parallels between the he's two. He's always been yeah. in a wheelchair. and we've had so much time with this character right again going back to first class like we've seen from James McAvoy's portrayal going all the way up to this film we've seen all these layers more so than Logan because a lot of times we've seen Logan kind of rehash the same brooding kind of beast whereas Mm -hmm. here we've seen all the layers all the growth of James McAvoy slash Patrick Stewart yeah Yeah. the ups and downs exactly it's it's fantastically done in Days of Future Past like that's a character or a portrayal of Professor X that we've never seen never before. Seen. Yeah. You yeah. Know, he was always, like we said, this gentleman, this guy that was put together. Right. Um, but I think one of the things that, that Patrick Stewart does really well for me here is he plays that that man with dementia really well, but also the lucid moments he has in this film are so touching. When yeah. we're with the family on that farm, there's when they're sitting around having the dinner, yes. or he's sitting in bed and they're talking about the comic books and that, and he's kind of playing with X-23. And then when he does have that last final speech... Like, those lucid moments are some of my favorite moments in this movie. It just, it's so engaging, and he does it so well, and I just felt myself sitting there like, wow, like, this is awesome. I, I agree, and, you know, so I think Professor X, you know, and you see kind of, like, his uh, his dark side in Days of Future Past. Like, this character isn't just, like, a goody two-shoes who's always up to, you know, always up for the good. You know, he does some things that are kind of shady. and Questionable. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
for the greater good. I think that's his always his justification here. Um, but by, you know, we're 10, 12, 15 minutes into this movie, and I think they've done a good job setting or framing what we have here, particularly when it's focused in on the characters. And like James Mangold said, he's focusing in on a character moving and moving away from the spectacle. So we've seen a fight scene with Logan. We know Caliban. We know Professor X. And we know the gist of the universe at this point, that there's no mutants left, that they're running away. They're fugitives. They're over top of the border here. And this is really, I think, well done. It's tight. And we get what's going on at this point. And this is where we get kind of this reluctant hero journey beginning. When we do have Logan, who is this chauffeur, being contacted by Gabriella. So this is a woman, a nurse from the Transigen facility in Mexico that is carrying out the experimentation of of what we eventually learn is the cloning, the X-23 project. And she is asking Logan to transport her and a young girl named Laura to Eden, as they call it, after reluctantly accepting this job. So he needs the money to pay for the meds to eventually go out and live his life with Professor X on a boat away from everyone. So this is kind of the dream, this aspiration he's getting towards. And so his original motivation is to, again, coming back to the relationship with Professor X, is to remove him from the the world itself, from harming anyone and end their lives more or less together. He's got the adamantium bullet. He's got the medication, Professor X. They can live the rest of their lives out in peace and die and disappear forever. Uh, But before he is able to complete this mission, he is kind of approached by Donald Pierce, who is one of the main antagonists in this film. He's part of the Reavers. These guys are genetically enhanced or cybernetically enhanced, not genetically enhanced. Um, This is directly out of the comic books to some degree. What did you guys think of the Reavers? Yeah, no, I, I liked them. Um, with the cybernetic arm, it was kind of cool. Kind of reminded me a little bit of Terminator. It wasn't the first time this movie reminded me of Terminator. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to that we'll get in to a that. little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought they served their purpose. They were uh, intimidating enough, and the guy seemed like he was a threatening enough villain for me. So yeah, I bought it, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't really have much to say. I, I think they pulled off the look pretty cool. Kind of reminded me of actually some Metal Gear stuff. Okay, I mentioned a yeah. couple episodes, or a lot of episodes ago, uh, with this this storyline here. But um, not, nothing crazy. Not as bad as the Suicide Squad villain. <laughs> Enough said there. Whoa, 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 whoa. You mean the Oscar-winning Suicide Squad? Yeah, the makeup on those putties was awesome. Putty patrol. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, I can't hear you. I got my Oscar stuck in the ear. <laughs> I, I'm just concerned of how Wolverine got over Trump's wall. This takes place in the future. So there must have been a wall between Mexico and the United States. Am I wrong? Just, just through that border. Actually, that's kind of alluded to a bit. Yeah, in, in this film, there was some. There's one or two drop lines here that were referring to people coming back and forth across the border. There, I think there's no mistake or no accident that they're trying to escape the United States and go into Canada or Mexico as they're living in. Yeah, I think for sure there's definitely some anti-Trump uh, messages in this film. Definitely. Um, personally, I, I really like the Reavers. I liked Do- this character Donald Pierce. I think he could have served as the main and the only villain in this film. I think that although he wasn't someone that could maybe go toe-to-toe with Logan when he is berserking out. I, I felt that he was smart enough and had enough of this Ken Fodder-type army that allowed them to just throw at Wolverine. I don't think we needed a big bad here for Wolverine to go toe-to-toe with. I think what they did with these Reavers and the fact that they were enhanced was pretty cool because that gave them a little bit more edge on top of the military that they brought into this that were just getting slaughtered at one point. <laughs> yeah. And 
this is where we get X-23 doing her thing. She's appears to be a mute, which is a character trait that I really liked that they did with, with X-23 here. And Professor X had been kind of going on and on about this woman that is very much like Logan, and she's coming, she's at the Statue of Liberty. So there's all these kind of neat references that you see Professor X linking with Laura, something that he hasn't done in a long time because he's in that, that kind of dampening cell, that anti-cerebro that Logan's put him in. And I, I like that kind of connection where we're seeing, again, these moments of, of Professor X being lucid and reconnecting with a mutant population and saying, look, we have to go find her. Where's Laura? When she eventually does show up, we start to get the reveal of who she actually is. And wow, the fight, this first fight scene, which turns into a car chase scene and her slicing and dicing here, we see the toe claws, we see the two hand claws, we see how vicious she is. And this is something that we discussed almost that nauseum about a 11-year-old, 12-year-old girl, whatever she is, uh, just going out and slaughtering people. This didn't bother me. I felt that it was handled really well. It looked good because I was worried about even the stunts. Yeah. Like, yeah. is it going to look fake? Is it going to look <laughs> like they jammed in a shorter woman. stunt woman <laughs> that didn't really fit? It didn't, like, I was worried about that, that it was going to look fake or they're going to take a lot of different camera angles when she's finding a lot of close-ups of her screaming. But they didn't shy away from showing her and Logan just decimating this crew of Reavers and what looks to be Mexican military. Were you guys okay with with how they portrayed Laura Kinney here, X-23? Yeah, like, I know nothing about the character. So for me, this was like a brand new character. So I was like, yeah, I bought it. Kind of reminded me a little bit of Stranger Things with uh, Eleven. Eleven. Yeah. yeah. It seems to be like that's like the new trend is like 13-year-old girls just yeah. whooping like ass. A hit girl. Yeah, yeah. hit girl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it didn't bother me at all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, same. It, it worked for me. I, I still could have gone for just a, a bit more of an older X-23. Yeah. Uh, Not necessarily because um, this actress did a, a poor job or anything. I just think it's more fitting when it's like that 15, 16-year-old character side-by-side uh, side with Logan, much like we had with Rogue, much like we've had with Jubilee and so on in the comics and TV. But it, it worked. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they, uh, what's it called? Uh casted or like had a casting call maybe like older people like applied or you know tried out but maybe like because this actress i think killed it uh what's her name daphne keen yeah yeah she absolutely killed she's it good. In this film. yeah she's really good so maybe maybe originally they had planned for yeah. maybe to be a little bit older but she's just like no i'm i'm 17 and then she tried out and she killed it They're like yeah no whatever you're, you're cast like I, I mean i have no idea yeah my contacts in Hollywood aren't getting back to me. So <laughs> it's interesting with this character and her being a young girl. And we talked a little bit last week about kind of what you just mentioned there, mm-hmm. Troy, that Wolverine's always paired with a younger female. Yeah. And one thing that I, I, I kind of lacked in this film was I didn't really feel like they ever connected. Yeah. Wolverine was very harsh towards her. And I never felt that he had this moment, this emotional connection to X-23. He always kind of kept her at arm's length. Yeah. And I don't know if that... Is, a, is on purpose with the character, never wanting to attach himself to something. But even when we get towards the, his eventuality of death, I never felt like he fully cared about X-23. Like, he cared about doing the right thing and getting whatever sort of revenge because they cloned and because it was children and that. But I never felt like he was doing this because of the love of, I'm going to say an air quotes. I never was a big fan of them calling her, her his daughter either. Yeah, daddy and yeah, daughter. Yeah, weird. Yeah, and, and Whoa, it never, never really? really worked no. for me. I no. cried when she was like, daddy. Yeah, and a lot of people I did. I burst into tears. Yeah, yeah I was, I've, I've I heard that a lot. I hook, line, I sinker. I like, me and my like buddy, like I went to see my buddy Mike, and we both turned, and we both had like tears in our eyes. We're just like, damn feels. Like, yeah, that, that crushed me. I, I, I didn't have enough of an emotional attachment between the two. Like, I never felt like she even wanted to call him dad. Like, 
Like, I didn't think she grasped that concept at all. Like, I don't think throughout the whole movie they alluded to that at all. You know, even with the comic books, like that that whole play with the x-men comic books in there that these are the stories that you know none of them are real but this is how she understood about eden and the x-men and who they were and who wolverine was but i never felt like they leveraged that enough that she wasn't trying to emulate him like she never saw him as a role model or a hero the way that he was portrayed in those comic books and i felt like that was a bit of a missed opportunity that like she had been reading these for however long this is her only reference to the outside world (laughs) and she never even looks up at him in this kind of adoring manner and i thought that was a bit weird and that's why those scenes didn't really connect with me i just never felt that they had any weight behind them yeah, I, I kind of felt uh, more so X-23 reaching towards Logan, and I felt Logan just distancing himself even more so. So again, yeah, I just didn't get that connection between the two. They both executed the roles very well, but just the chemistry or however the director had them, they just never were on the same page, in my opinion. No. Again, and we have reference going back to him and Rogue in the first X-Men, and you could see that buildup between the two and him kind of becoming that big brother father figure for yeah. Rogue. But in this film, I never got that. We seem to let Rogan, like, given that they did have a few films to develop that yeah. relationship. Yeah. But he seemed by the end of X1, he seemed to open up a bit to her. Yeah. Because he comes off as this cage-fighting brute. And then eventually he's, you know, saving her and part of the X-Men. Yeah. You don't see that same progression of character in this. Like, he is more or less the same person when he starts this film yeah. as when it ends. Yes. Even though he has lost Professor X and he has this this little girl that I never felt that he fully connected to. So like, there's no evolution of character through that. Like he's like I said, the same guy from point A to point B. Yes. But like you know, at the beginning of the film, you know when uh, X23 got taken, he probably would have just like left her. But you know he goes to the the um, the forest and he tries to save her at the end. And he kind of realizes at the end, what's his last line? Like so, this is what it feels like. But referencing like the family moment like of them you know he's like this is what it feels like to be like a family but I, I didn't get that either because that didn't make sense to me because he had the X-Men exactly plenty you know, of times he, he loved Jean Grey he knew what love was and yeah. in X-Men Origins depending on what you hold yeah. into the he, continuity yeah. he had his wife at one point he had the that little that little that girl in Japan yeah. at one point oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's had a family like he has Charles He like he calls him his father in this film yeah. but he doesn't have any children and he's so maybe that's what he's referencing like this is what it's like to have children he finally realizes you know and like Jean Grey never loved him back she was in love with Cyclops um, I think the girl in Japan and Wolverine's Miracle or yeah and uh, she, she she used him as a yeah. set up the whole time but he did have that feeling like he's yeah, but I, I he's, don't, he's had those feelings before yeah I don't yeah. think this movie deserved that type of line <laughs> because I don't think they built it up no yeah. and some I, I one point of me, like when he first said it, my first thought was, okay, his family thing doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Is Does he mean this is what it feels like to die? Okay. This is what it feels like to mm-hmm. feel pain and finally see that light and go towards it. Right. I've yeah. never had this. I've been shot. I've been killed. I've been named. <laughs> I've had every piece of me cut and chopped into pieces, every bone broken. Right. I've had adamantium bullet to my skull twice. Yeah. Does this is this what it feels like to die? Yeah. That's kind of how I took okay. that line. Because I didn't just believe that it was about family, it was about love. Because, he, like, he's had that his whole, like, through the whole he's franchise. Yeah. yeah, but he's never had children. And maybe, it's, you know, this is him experiencing what it's like to be a dad because he's never been a dad before. That's fine. I just yeah. don't buy that that's yeah. what, it, like, they didn't earn that for me. Okay, That yeah. he was a father figure towards yeah. her. He was more of a savior. He was doing the right thing, the greater good thing. He was never just being a father to her. He was saving her because 
that's what was right at the time. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with the fact, I don't think at least, that he or she was a clone. Because he always ignored that when Patrick Stewart kept saying, like, she's your daughter, she's very much like you, and all this. And he is shocked when he sees the claws come out of her, and he doesn't want her to become like him. Right. I think that's more yeah. what it's about yeah. when he's when he's focusing in on her. It's like, I don't want you to live the same life that I did. This aggressive, this always fighting, this maiming, this killing, this berserker mode type thing. He doesn't want that. And that's a theme that Chris Aptly pointed out last week when we discussed Logan with his... Um, relationship with the the younger females in the comics is that he always wants them to not be like him. He doesn't want anyone to be Wolverine. Right. Yeah. No, he wants them to be them and and live a life of no regret of, of not having to take a life. Um, And that's something that's touched a bit on here, but not as much as I think that that line actually hits home for me. That's, that's my personal opinion on that. Um, I just don't think it was deserved. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. But moving on a little bit with the plot here. So, uh, we get a little bit of exposition in that kind of iPhone film thing about <laughs> what the X-23 project is. And this involves more than just a single individual and more than in the comic books that it's just a female clone of Wolverine that is called X-23. It's the 23rd iteration, the 23rd attempt to make a direct clone of Wolverine that does turn out to have to be female because of the damage Y chromosome. So they've taken a little bit of liberties with that storyline. And that's okay. I, I would have preferred her to be a bit more of an individual, someone that's special, that is the only clone of Wolverine. And that's why moving into this next phase of the movie, I'm a bit bothered because there is this reference to the X-24 project. And the reason these kids are on the run is because once they perfected the X-24, they never had any need for the X-23 children. And they're rounding yeah. up and killing them. And the nurses took it upon themselves who some of these nurses were actually the the birth mothers to release these kids and take them to this Eden place. And this is where we do find out about that there's more kids. We do get a little bit more of that backstory of X-23. Once we we get a little bit of this exposition, we have a bit better understanding of what's going on with X-23, with this X-24, this transigen, what they were doing. We kind of swing and shift the tone a bit. Uh, They do find themselves at a casino in Oklahoma City. And this is, I think, one of the, the better fight scenes slash revealing moments when uh, we do have Logan leaving X-23 and Professor X, and then he comes back to Professor X having one of his seizures. Because Professor X, I think it's, it's kind of neat throughout this whole film, he's he's kind of acting like an old man not taking his medication, just yeah. shoving it down the seat like a little yeah. kid. Because yeah. uh, he doesn't want to be heavily medicated. Yeah. And this whole scene when everyone's frozen in the casino and you see Wolverine slow-mo mm-hmm. going through this to get to Charles, you know, sticking his claws into the walls and then once he gets to the Reavers and you see them slowly moving towards him and man, some of the like you feel the impact. Like that one through the guy's head, oh, that is straight yeah. out of Old Man Logan. That exact scene. It's incredible. Yeah, it's Jeez. awesome. It's yeah. really well done. Yeah. Probably some of the best things we've ever seen in any X-Men film. Oh, for yeah. sure. I think, like, the best fights yeah. up there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Most brutal, anyways. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think, again, referring to the violence, like, it was appropriate in the moment. Like, it didn't bother me the same way I thought it was going to. And there's some nice moments in there with X-23 and them trying to give the suppressant to Professor X. And it's cool to see that both of them are somewhat more resistant to Professor X's the, this this whatever he's doing freezing you know, the, the, or the seizure the, that he's right. having right yeah. yeah because of their ability to heal and I I, I kind of like that they kind they've played on that from the comic books that he is able to kind of resist that somewhat and like it was a great scene I thought this the, the whole execution of the seizing 
into the fight. Like I think it was really, really well done. So, uh, but they do end up going and driving towards North Dakota and um, we get this kind of, I, I, I kind of liked it actually, this, this farm scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a throwback a bit towards the, like the, the Westerns that they're trying to play off of a bit. Um, and this are some of my favorite scenes. This whole family dynamic that we do get from this is I, I like that they played on that a little more here. And this is a really nice light moment in a what is a darker, grittier, and very violent film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the end of it is not so great. No. Um, but no. like I said, we get some of those lucid moments with Professor X. We do have Wolverine going out and helping this man because they did help him. So it, I like the whole dynamic that we get with the family. We get X-23 interacting with a young boy, picking up yep. the iPod. And this. I think there's a lot of good character development in here. And it's, it's a nice pause from what's been a fairly intense movie so far. I know you you made reference to the the Hawkeye scene, the Hawkeye farm yeah. scene in Age of Ultron. Yeah, yeah. This the scene. I, I get what you're saying with the character development, and I totally get that and appreciate it. But it's literally copied and pasted from X Men Origins when Wolverine visits the old man and the old woman in their home. It's the exact same scene. <laughs> uh, we get like yeah, like Tim and I, Tim and I were mentioning before the the Hawkeye scene from Avengers: Age of Ultron. Yeah. So. I get what they're doing. They're trying to slow down the pace and develop the characters like X-23 and see them actually interact with our other human beings. But um, on the negative side, too, we're also, also introduced to the clone. Oh, man. Really? Okay. Yeah, we're going to uh, have some discussion about this. You guys didn't dig the clone. No, I feel the clone was a horrible choice to go down. I, I feel like out of all these enemies, we could have had like a cool Omega Red, which would have been really cool to see on the big screen for once. We could have even had um, Dakin. Uh, Dakin is actually Wolverine's son. They didn't even have to explain that, but it could have been cool to see Wolverine go up against another Wolverine, but in the costume. And again, the fanboys would have got the nod, yeah. and the general audience wouldn't care. They'd just be like, cool, Wolverine fighting Wolverine, which is what we got anyways. Yeah. But it would have just been a little bit more substance to the character or the the fights in general. Um, or, again, you could bring back Sabretooth. But this this original character that served no p- purpose for me, I just thought he's a big throwaway. <laughs> Horrible. See, I liked it because I didn't... Yeah. I didn't uh... Get the reveal, you know, when you find out Professor X gets stabbed by the clone. Yeah. You're like, okay, is this person... Like, for a while, I was like, is this... A dream? Yeah, like, <laughs> is this Wolverine or, like, what's going on? Right. But kind of reminded me a little bit of X or of Terminator Genesis. Yeah, The oh, opening yeah. scene where uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger fights his younger self. Yes. A really well done scene, whether you like the movie or not. That's one of the best scenes of that film. I agree. Uh, the CGI was killer. And I think, you know, this looked kind of cool. It was kind of like... I think, you know, the director tried to say, like, it's, um, like, you know, at the ending scene when he fights his clone again, uh, it's just, like, you know, the old versus the young. And I think this is what this film was trying to say is, like, you know, the old old winter lion facing the young buck. And it was cool to see <laughs> those two interact and go at it toe-to-toe. You could still put in Dakin again. Could have done the yeah, same thing. You know, same I thing. didn't even know he existed okay. until right now. So okay. I'm glad. You know, if they brought him in, I would yeah. have been like, "Sweet!" That and we would got the costume. Cool. Would have been yeah, sweet. I thought. You know, I thought they were going to bring out the costume yeah. to differentiate Wolverine and the other one, especially at the end fight. Yes, I that thought kind of cool. Yeah. You know, like have the kids like have him playing around with the kids and wearing the costume mm. after they cut his hair like Wolverine. And then, you know, him showing the kids, like, okay, like, this is what it looks like. I, you know, I yeah. really wish... work his armor, too, because he's he's weaker at this point. Yeah. yeah. They really should have put on the yellow spandex. And they it... teased it in the, the special edition version, too, of the yeah. Wolverine, right? That costume, yeah. so... Yeah, as, Wolver- as uh, Cyclops says in X-Men 1, what would you like, yellow spandex? Yes. Ah, <laughs> they've been teasing us all along. Yeah, it's just the black leather. Only Apocalypse in the X-Men franchise is really... I guess First Class gave us some colorful costumes. I liked... Uh, what, what was her name in Deadpool? Um... 
the teenager. Um, well, teenager. I think she had the best X-Men <laughs> yeah. costume ever. It, yeah. it worked. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, for me, X-24 was a complete and utter disaster. <laughs> Seriously. Like, Tell us I, how you really feel. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> well, like I said, I've been trying to be very positive throughout the majority of this review. Like, I think this movie deserves the positivity. Yeah. But when we're talking about this reveal here, I think that the Reapers were an appropriate villain for this. We get the reveal later of this... Um, what is it, uh, Xander Rice, right. as the oh, head yeah. of transgender. That's fine. That's all we needed, I think. Like, I don't think we needed a big shit-kicking between Wolverine and a clone of Wolverine. Like, the thing that bothers me here is this This eliminates the individuality of X-23, the importance of X-23. She's supposed to be one of a kind. Now we have something that's better and that looks like him. Like, I just thought that, you know, why are the, like why is transgender chasing her? Like, what does it matter? <laughs> like why do they need her like yeah. i guess sure they want to kill her but i felt this was just lazy yeah like i i felt that it, it pulled me right out of the film like i i remember sitting for it and shaking my head being like i cannot <laughs> believe they're doing this like i wish i was there at the theater just to see angry tim just like throws popcorn down like fuck this movie <laughs> like why well, I, I was I, it really bothered me like yeah. i think it was poorly executed like they could have done so many other things and the fact that the clone is who kills xavier yeah yeah come on like this is not the demise of the man that we've been watching for 17 years who has been through time travel and this and that and the other thing like it should have been logan that killed yeah. xavier in my opinion you think so i think so i but think he did kill him his clone did yeah but <laughs> like it was just he just put his hand on his and then shanked him like it, yeah. To me, it's just none of that, again, was earned. Like, that, it doesn't make any sense to me, like, why we needed him to fight a clone. Like, sure, every movie needs him going toe-to-toe with someone that is maybe equal to him, but you didn't need that in this film because he didn't have an equal in this film. Like, he was old, beaten down. He was being poisoned. Like, mm-hmm. his healing factor wasn't there. He was full of scars and damaged and limping through this whole movie. Like, there was, they didn't need to throw him up against someone that's 25 years younger than him. Like, I just felt like this really took this off of the, the, you know, the very straight and arrow, this gritty down-to-earth movie that they had built. They had ignored this whole genetics thing to some degree, with the exception Mm -hmm. of X-23. They really didn't focus in on that. And then all of a sudden, he's finding a clone of himself that kills. Like, like Professor X didn't get the send-off I thought he was going to get. Like, he basically gets stabbed. Logan runs upstairs, throws him in the back of the truck, and then buries him in a rock pile. Yeah. Yeah, like that's not the way he should have died. Like I, I think there should have been more with him having a massive seizure and harming thousands of people, maybe or people. Like, do there need to be more emotion there? Like we saw Wolverine kill Jean Grey in X three. Like we know he has the capacity to do something like that, yeah. someone that he loved and cared about. Yeah, this is even heavier like imagine the emotional reaction from the audience if it's logan that has to kill his mentor his yes. father figure yeah they, they put so much effort into this film in demonstrating how much he cares and how he'll do almost anything for charles to have him be the one that kills him like to me that is just boom like that is <laughs> the emotional stakes that i am looking for in this film yeah. and the fact that it was you know lost on this clone like, I was just so far out of it at this point that I was like, I don't know if I can get back into this movie now. Mm-hmm. Like, it really, truly bothered me that they went this path with this. <laughs> I don't think Logan could ever kill Professor X, though. I think, like, that's what they're trying to say is, like, with the boat and stuff, like, you know, maybe he would have taken him out to sea, but, you know, maybe he would have killed him, maybe he wouldn't. We'll never find out, but I just don't think he would have ever been capable of doing that. Well, it's, it's this greater good thing, right? Like, yeah. if Professor X was going to kill thousands of people, I think Wolverine has 
the ability to do that, has the capacity to do that. And even to have a moment where, you know, Professor X is seizing and he has this brief glimmer of lucidity and looks at Wolverine and just kind of gives him like one of these things, like it's my time to go. Yeah. And controls him. He could even control Wolverine. Yeah, that's true. Do it. Yeah. Right? So I, I think oh, there was a, a little bit yeah. more there that they could have done that, you know, even if they had this, this silly clone, if they had done something like that, I think I could have ignored that. Um, but because this clone becomes a, a pivotal part of this movie yeah. because he kills Professor X, um, I, I just can't. That's inexcusable for me. But now he needs to get revenge on the clone. You know, like it's like the attack of the clones. <laughs> uh, you know, like so before with the clone, like he didn't really care. But now he's personally invested in killing this clone because the clone killed Charles. So now he's like, all right, well. You killed Charles. I'm gonna take down my younger self. Right? Oh yeah, it's like taking down Apollo Creed. You gotta go train yeah, on that mountain. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but he has that motivation with X23 already. Yeah. Right. Like to save her because he's got her locked up in this big clam thing. Like that. His his motivation to go and fight him in the first place. Like yes, he's out there to get revenge. But he's if he didn't want to fight him or didn't want to save X23, he would have thrown Charles in the truck and drove off. Yeah. Um. So he does already have that built-in motivation to to save X23 here. I don't know. Like that's that's to me where the big letdown in the movie is. I think yeah. that like in X Men movies, I feel that the third act or this this final reveal is always something that they struggle with. They can't get past like they they build this movie up so well for the first two parts of it, and then we get into the end here, and we have this this reveal that no one knew about. And I'm just sitting there shaking my head. <laughs> yeah, because if you look back at all three Wolverine movies, we've had Silver Samurai as the villain. We've had yeah. a horrible Deadpool. And then we've yeah. got a clone. Like I, They've all been throwaways. I mean, the best thing you've probably had is maybe Sabretooth. And even that was still kind of poorly yeah. done. So, yeah. And Wolverine has some decent villains. Yeah. And yeah. This, this movie wasn't about a villain. Mm-hmm. You know, this was about the Logan taking that final journey with mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart, right? Like, we didn't need him to go toe-to-toe with people. I felt, and even going into this last fight scene, um, that all the fight scenes are perfect. Like, they're really well done, and they don't need someone that is on the same level as Logan to go toe-to-toe with him. Like, him going through and slashing through all these Reavers and through these, these ple- like, whatever, the military and that... I think that gives you that idea, that, that that craving for Berserker Wolverine. I don't need him to go toe-to-toe with a single person to satisfy my need to have a Wolverine fight. I don't know. Like the, this, the, that's I think the biggest misstep of the movie is the clone and the fallout from the clone because yeah. that pushes in the, the story into a different direction, I think, yeah. than they were trying to get at originally. We'll never get an Omega Red film, eh? No. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> you never know. Maybe Deadpool 2. Ah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. deadpool here. um so we we eventually make it to eden here with logan and x20 neverland yeah never never lost boys that's exactly what i thought um these these kids it's kind of a weird but they never make it to eden or they it wasn't eden i thought it was eden eden was the treehouse wasn't it oh maybe i don't know i think eden was the treehouse i know because remember they said we're gonna meet in north dakota and then from there, we're going to go up to Canada. Okay, well. And I think oh. Eden is in, like, Manitoba, which is really weird. <laughs> oh, I thought that, that treehouse so thing was Eden. Okay. But no, anyways. I don't think so. Never okay. Neverland wait, is wait, exactly We'll have right. to get the coordinates. What were the coordinates on the comic book? We'll have to put them in our GPS or and Google Maps and see that? where it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, these kids. This is what appears to be New Mutants or some of this. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. It's, there. Um, yeah. It's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. And again, doesn't particularly fit into the movie. I, I don't think. It, uh, I like seeing some of the other powers. That's something that we really didn't get in this whole movie was the 
a display of mutant powers. We get what appears to be Iceman and yeah. this character named Richter that has kind of the seismic activity. Yeah, like Magneto or whatever, maybe, was it? Was, I think was it was, it? like, he had oh, the ability to uh, manipulate, like, seismic activity. Oh, okay. Okay. Isn't and then we had, like, Poison uh, Ivy with, like... Banshee with the... or something? Oh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And then we saw the vines take over. But yeah. Rapid, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, this was an interesting scene, and them clipping out his beard to make yeah. him look like Wolverine. I yeah. felt that was just a, a play to the fans, like, you know, this is the last time we're going to see Wolverine. Yeah. We yeah. might as well get his mutton chops in there. Yeah. Need the yellow costume, though. Yeah, we yeah. did need the yellow costume. Yeah, but th- this leads us into our eventual final fight. They are discovered by the Reavers. They're being chased through this forest. And what a scene for a fight. Like, this is really well done. The yeah. camera work, the cinematography yes. is beautifully done in yeah. this. Yeah. It captures this fight, the intensity of the fight. Logan gets all kind of jacked up on this juice or whatever, this serum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which I didn't get. Like, they said don't drink all of it because I thought that was going to kill him. Yeah. yeah. That he was going to be like, okay, well, I'm going to commit suicide here, but I'm going to yeah. save everyone while exactly. I'm doing it. Yeah. yeah. And chugs this thing. And he goes full berserker mode. Yeah. Yeah. This looks fantastic. X-23's fight scenes in here, fantastic. Just the, the whole scene, like how they constructed this, I thought was really well done yeah yeah no it, it was great i liked it i i didn't feel for the kids at all because they're just kind of thrown in there didn't really care for that um again the clone I, I just didn't really care for him fighting wolverine him to be the one to to take out wolverine ultimately by impaling him through the the tree stump there um but other than that yeah i agree with you the choreography was fantastic x23 kills it in these scenes i mean i don't know how much of it is her doing these stunts but either way mm-hmm. uh it, they, they pull it off and it just it's looks seamless phenomenal. yeah i can't tell when it's not her, when it's her, when she's on wires, or whatever, right. it looks good. Like I think all of her scenes, like yeah. I compliment the choreography, the fight choreography in this movie, yeah. because it's all done really well. Like I can't tell when they're using doubles, yeah. when they're on wires, when it's CG, whenever. Mm-hmm. It looks really good. Yeah, I think it was the proper send off, like a big uh, battle. They kind of built it up, and then you had like the kids versus the army, and I thought that was kind of cool, getting to see their powers. Uh, you know, sets up the next X-Men film, um, probably mm. taking place in this universe. It'll be the children. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know if they'll go New Mutants. I mean, I know we're getting a New Mutants film. I don't think it's going to be particularly no. these New Mutants. It, that'd be a horrible idea. No, no, nothing against you or anything there. It's just... Oh, no, that's fine, Troy. Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> I, just, I just feel like these kids don't really have... They felt like extras as yeah. opposed to actual actors or, or characters. If they had a film around these kids... Apart from X-23, they'd, they'd be in some yeah. danger. The yeah. only thing yeah. I can see them doing with these kids is taking X-23, and it's Cable that takes her to the different time stream. And bring, bring her Brings back. Brings her back to the 80s or whatever. And they I have hope X-Force, so. Or to 2016 or whatever, and they have an X-Force movie with Deadpool. Yeah, and then boom, you got the all-new, all-different X-Men. Yeah. Well, they did announce, yeah. uh, Simon Kinberg said, like, the next film is... Nova. Uh, X-Men Nova. Uh, Supernova. X-Men Nova. Supernova, yeah. Supernova, but he just said Deadpool 2, and then I think X-Force will be Deadpool and Cable. Yeah leading it cool. and in the comics cable i think gets x20 i don't know how it works he picks a i don't know if it's x23 specifically but he goes and picks x-men and mutants from different parts of the time stream oh, cool to build the x-force like so bishop is in there yeah maybe? bishop's in there cool. and um oh, what the hell is, i can't remember the other guy's name anyways it doesn't matter but that's kind of how he constructs the x-force so you cool. can see them pulling an x23 into this time that would be awesome time that so are sense. they like time traveling or uh, cable is yeah cable and bishop bishop's a tra- so time is- traveler too yeah because he's well, you see him in uh, days of your past, past yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so what do the X Force do? Are they like kind of like because it's supposed to be like, like an R rated? I think Suicide Squad type, nice. aren't they? Yeah, I, I'm not super familiar. I haven't read a lot of it, but yeah. I think they're more of like 
I don't know. I'm going to say Suicide Squad is the closest parallel we're going to have. Oh, okay. We can have Hopefully they win an Oscar as well. Anti-heroes. <laughs> <laughs> but you said they're chasing an, uh, an R rating as well, so that, yeah. that might be Fox's thing then, basically. Yeah, the Deadpool 2, I think, will be yeah. R-rated as yeah. well. Oh, I'd have to. Deadpool yeah. 2, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it'd have to. So as we, we close out this, this film here, um, yeah. we have Logan meeting the Xander Rice, who was hailed as the main villain. He's this uh, Richard E. Grant. People thought maybe he was going to be Mr. Sinister. Right. Right. Um, he turns out to be this character directly from the Innocence Lost X-23 book. He is the creator of X-23 in the comic books. He, um, I think he's a waste, personally. Yep. Like, he came and just started to reveal random things. Like, yeah. oh, we killed all the mutants, and then we wanted to build our own mutant army, so we started cloning old mutants. Like, it, I felt like that was just like a, a brain dump. Yeah. That was just like, oh, we, we have to tie all these loose ends up, so we're going to have this. this guy. And then Logan just shoots him after yeah. he explicitly <laughs> said at the start, I don't like guns. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> there, there's so much more they could have done with this character, I think, and used him as a, as a main villain. Because uh, when we talked last week... Uh, there's a nice setup in Apocalypse with him running through the Weapon X program, and they make kind of reference to this about, you know, your father was the man that put this poison inside of me, I killed your father, and then Xander Rice is like, ah, I wanted revenge on you, or whatever. It's, it's <laughs> built up a lot more in the comic books, and it makes a lot more sense why Xander Rice, like, he has dedicated his life to science to get his ultimate revenge on Wolverine, and then he does create x-23 torches her all these type of things so there's there's a lot more of a connection between xander rice and wolverine in the comic books and i was looking for a little more of that not just this guy that shows up at the end gets shot in the head but before that he brain dumps you know what he's done for the last 20 years and it it just seemed like a quick and easy way to wrap things up a bit and they they could have done more of of a connection there that i and maybe strung that throughout the movie that would have made this climax a bit more engaging and kind of had a bit more stakes to it. I just felt like the fight was awesome, but it just kind of ended. Like he goes toe to toe again with X twenty four, and again I didn't really love that. Like I didn't feel like this was the final battle that I needed. No. I think personally, the way I would have liked to see it is him just go through this massive battle with all the Reavers after drinking that serum. That's kind of what almost kills him, and he kind of dies. The way he did is fine. Yeah, but he just kind of slowly and quietly dies. I didn't want to see him go out in this kind of fiery mess. Like I liked that it was quiet. I liked that it was slow and sure X 23 can be over him. I didn't like the daddy thing, Yeah. but I just felt like all of that was like, again, this third act thing, like it was just rushed. Like I felt yes. like they were like, crap, we need to finish this movie off. <laughs> oh yeah. There's all these comic book reference things we need oh, to yeah. get in. Yeah. So let's throw all those in real quick. And then, oh yeah, Logan has to die. So this is how he dies. I don't, I just don't feel it was executed maybe in the manner the rest of the movie was like the rest of the movie I felt really worked at developing characters, a plot line an overarching theme and a narrative. And I felt like this last, you know, 20, 30 minutes was just really rushed. Yep. And that's, it's, it's kind of a sour note to somewhat end on here on a, I, what I think is a, a, a really good film. Like, don't get me wrong. This isn't a bad film. I just think that the ending, like most Wolverine movies was the weakest part. And that's kind of the last thing you're left with in the theater, right? Yeah, I don't know. They, I don't know if this is something they're trying to do where they purposely, purposely go out of their way to make the third act have the worst part <laughs> of the film. Because, again, going back to the Deadpool fight in Origins, that was pretty bad and pretty rushed. And then with the Silver Samurai, you know, revealing, revealing the whole plot line of the whole movie, again, we're getting that in this film, too. Um, yeah, so it didn't really... Uh, serve the film that much justice maybe they spent too many time too much time in other scenes as opposed to fleshing out the end here yeah 
I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Know. I, I like that he went out kind of violently fighting X twenty four. You know, it's like you live by the sword, you die by the sword, yeah. and I kind of felt like that. Uh, I really like the end. I don't know what you guys felt when uh, X twenty three takes the cross, that's cool. Turns it over to an X. I was like, okay, that's yeah, I that like gets that. You, that yeah. gets you in the feels. Like that was a nice nod. Yeah, and then it kind of just like pans her for a little second. You're just like, that's it. That's waiting for the hand to come up. Yeah, where the rocks move like <laughs> or, Superman. Or, or the uh, Deadpool where he like opens his eyes or something. Yeah, like, origins. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think Wolverine will be back. He's too popular of a character to leave out. You think it'll be Hugh Jackman playing him, though? No, I no. think he's done. As no. you said, it's too many chicken breasts to eat. <laughs> yeah. They can use him in the 80s timeline. Um, yeah. He's effectively around. Yeah. Um, they will have to tweak a few things to get him back into that, that timeline or whatever. But they've been known to step all over continuity anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think maybe what they'll do is maybe uh, in the new one, the 90s, uh, that's where Supernova is supposed to take place in the 90s? Yes, yeah. mid-90s, late-90s. So yeah. who knows, maybe Cable will bring X-23 back, and then they'll change the future so that way it doesn't end up like that. I mean, time travel, you get a whole bunch of loopholes. Like, I'm a big Terminator fan oh, of yeah. the franchise, and yeah. they have so many loopholes and so many changing yeah. timelines that who knows, right? Like, I kind of think of each film as like its own separate film. Like, you know, as Logan said... You know, who knows if any of this stuff happened. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't in referring to the comic books. Maybe a quarter of it happened, but it didn't happen like this. And maybe, you know, they're referring to the previous movies like that, similar too. You Fair know, enough. That's a good point. Maybe like some of the previous movies are just like stories or maybe they're just movies in the X universe about their exploits that, you know, may or may not have happened. Right. So it's, it's just like the Old Man Logan book itself is just out of out of uh, continuity well that's what Hugh Jackman originally said he said this film has no ties to previous continuity right Right. which would be like the old man Logan book yeah and then I think James Mangle said no 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 it takes place in 2029 and there are some ties in there so who knows like if if you you know I think if you I think it's best to go into this film and just think of it as its own solo separate film yeah yeah I'd have to agree with you there Um, (laughs) because some of that weighs in on me yeah, um, I can't ignore that. But as the general population, I think people are going to like this film. Yeah. yeah. Question for you guys: Did you stick around for a post-credit scene? I uh, did. I did. There's yeah. nothing. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> you think that, well, we we heard the quote from James Mangold that he wasn't going to do something like this. I thought it was more of a stamp saying, "No, that's the end of Wolverine. That's the end of this this timeline right now." Yeah. Uh, we're not getting anything teased here. We had the teaser at the start. Yeah. And I, I think that's appropriate. Whether it was a more of a creativity choice to to set himself out. Or separate himself from what they're doing over at the MCU and that. Or if it was just a creative decision to say, look, this is the end of Wolverine. There's going to be nothing else shown here. So uh, I was a bit thrown off because I they've done that forever. Like yeah. the X-Men have also done this too. Yeah. End credit sequence or post credit sequence. And But I'm, I'm okay with it. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, once you killed off Wolverine, what could you really possibly put at the end of the film, right? You could have like... done something with X-23. I guess like she yeah. gets there and like, I don't know something. I you know the only thing I could see is just having them show the grave for a little bit longer and maybe have some rocks you know askew or something. So you really have to look at it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that, I think they shouldn't have and they didn't. So yeah. I'm glad. All right, guys, that that about wraps up our discussion here for Logan. Let me get your final closing thoughts on this. <laughs> Keep them brief. <laughs> All right, I'll go first. Um, so when we go about this, let's see where you, where you guys put this in the pantheon of comic book films, okay? 
So I'm going to put this, slot this in at number two, just behind the Dark Knight. Um, so that just shows you how much love Of all I, time. Of all time. All time. Beyonce had one of the best albums. Wish you could see my face here, guys. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Let me take a picture. Do, 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 do. Taking a picture on a live podcast. Boom. <laughs> so that will go up. Yeah. Number two. All time. I have it just behind the Dark Knight trilogy. I'm counting that as one solo film because I just can't help it. I can't separate them. They're like my three children. I only have one children, but whatever. Uh, yeah, this this film was great. I loved everything about this film. Um, the director actually said he's making a black and white version for the Blu-ray release, so I can't wait to see That's it again cool. in black and white. Uh, they did that with uh, Mad, Mad Max. Max. Yeah. yeah, so this would be really cool. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. Like this film, the only thing that stuck out to me was the continuity. But as I said, who cares? You know, who cares? Creativity over continuity. I'd rather have, you know, a good story, a good character-driven film than have a film like The Wolverine or something that, like, ties in too much to continuity or, like, Iron Man 2 where it's just too much continuity. So Too much setup. Yeah, too much setup. This one definitely you can't say there's too much setup on this (laughs) one. Yeah, so this one, you know, not too much setup at all. So I love this film. I recommend seeing it in theaters. Um, I saw it on IMAX. I think it's out of IMAX already because Kong's coming into IMAX mm. now. I give it a score nine and a half out of ten, maybe nine out of ten. Wow! Uh, yeah, this movie... <laughs> I feel like that would be the most positive closing <laughs> comment. This movie's great. It's it's not bad at all by any means. It's definitely the best Wolverine film of all the other Wolverine films. That's not really hard to beat. Um, <laughs> it's definitely a lot better than the last couple X Men films we've had. Is it the all time comic book movie? No, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, Winter Soldiers, Civil War, still far up there. Avengers, uh, The Dark Knight is fantastic. I don't know. Out of six Wolverine claws, I'll give it <laughs> four out of six Wolverine claws. So that's my ranking. Definitely go out there and see this film. Don't read too heavily into the Old Man Logan comic or any of the Old Man Logan comics going on right now because you're not going to get that in this film, unfortunately. But it's a good way for Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart to leave the franchise. And I look forward to seeing X-23 in future installments, hopefully. All right, now Tim. <laughs> All right, well, like I think I achieved what I set out to achieve here is that... Um, there's some very positive things about this movie, but there's also some holes in it. And by no means is this a bad film. It's it's really quite the opposite. This is a very well done film. Mm-hmm. Jackman and Stewart were the shining stars of this. I think that the characters that they, they've portrayed for the last 17 years, uh, they're engaging, they're enduring characters. And this movie, for the most part, services them to a, an acceptable and a satisfying end. There's some issues, I think, particularly with how each of them die that I, that I didn't particularly like. But for the most part, this is an expertly acted film. Daphne Keene, her her part as X-23 was great. I, I liked the main villain. I think there was some big missteps in the third act. Um, as, as we've kind of outlined here, I think it was a bit rushed. And I feel like with most X-Men films, the acting is always good. The characters are good. The story always falls short for me. And this doesn't really buck that trend so much. This For me, this this is a definite recommend. Uh, the aspects and things that they promised about this film, they delivered on. It was it was a good ending to the Logan franchise. Like Troy said, this is by far the best solo outing of the Wolverine. And this is much better than the stuff that we've got recently from the X-Men franchise. Is it the best X-Men movie? Um, I'm not going to say no. I still really? like X2. I think that 
uh, as we've seen, like this is a, a very good solo Wolverine movie, but I think that his strongest portrayals are still in the team movies. Yeah. X2 mm-hmm. and Days of Future Past yes. in particular. Oh, those when two he is fantastic interacting films. with more people. Like I think Jackman can hold the scene no problem. He can hold the whole movie no problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think leveraging some of those other mutant characters in this universe, I think it just levitates the story a bit more. It gives some time to focus on other aspects and bring other types of character development and narrative into an overall story. Is this the best comic book movie? Clearly, because I don't think it's the best X Men movie. I don't think it's anywhere near the best comic book movie of all time. Okay. I don't think it fits among the ranks of Dark Knight, Avengers, Guardians, Winter Soldier, Civil War. Like I think these movies are on another level. I think this movie achieves to put itself into a different category. It looks like a Western. It, it's adapted, again, something different, a different genre, and brought that into the comic book movie fold. The similar way we saw Winter Soldier bring in that political spy, spy thrill. The same way we saw Dark Knight change the game. There's a lot of talk that this was a game-changer movie. I see why people say that. I don't think because of the content, but I think because of the way it was done. I think that it's not the story that's a game-changer. It is adapting a Western. It's doing something different. It's coming to a full-stop conclusion with a character and using this r rating the violence and that it was well handled so overall this is a yeah like i said a definite recommend for me go check this out in theaters it is something worth watching but watch it with the caution that it's there are some holes in it still it's not a perfect movie that people are portraying it to be at least in my opinion you know it's interesting because you were bringing up some of those other films and they're a lot more um comedic you know like you said guardians and you said avengers and I, I really appreciate this. It was a totally different tone from the MCU, and it was so close to like the Dark Knight. Like, I often wonder, will I ever get to see a film, a comic book film, as good as the Dark Knight? And for the longest time, I haven't had that. Well, the Dark Knight Rises as well. Um, I know Troy has his thoughts on that <laughs> film. You're killing me here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's say the Nolan trilogy, and this has come the closest I have felt. Just the tone of it, the character, the acting. Uh, the violence, the gore, it just felt like this like different breed. It kind of felt like, you know, it's its own film, you know, um, well, it is its own film, but, you know, it kind of felt like more serious. And I really appreciated that, you know, I'm just such a serious guy. And I just, you know, I just, why so serious? You're the opposite of serious. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny, but I just dig the seriousness of this film. And it treated the source material serious you know and it didn't take it you know it, you know some people say uh, who is it um the actress who plays the wasp angeline lily she was saying that dc comics take their films too serious and to me i don't th- take that as a negative i want the creators i want the directors the actors to take these things seriously and logan took it seriously and i think it paid off for me i appreciate that that's seriousness. Take a shot every time I say serious. There you go. <laughs> so make sure you check us out on Serious Radio. <laughs> <laughs> so there it is, guys. That is our, our final recommendation for Logan. That was an exciting discussion. I'm glad that we didn't find ourselves agreeing on everything. Like that, I, That's what I love about these conversations is that we have such differing opinions on things. And we find a way to find that middle ground I found. And you're, we all recommended this film. We all like this for different mm-hmm. reasons. And I think that shows the diversity of opinion on, on not only on the podcast, but amongst the fandom that we have here. And I see why this movie is, is hitting home with the general population, with the fanboys, all this. So all in all, great film. 
great discussion here, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure talking about Logan. And if you guys would like to have your input or comment on what we've discussed here, uh, particularly when it comes to some of the, the points that were missteps or things that you really love that we did not discuss in any sort of detail. We'd love to hear from you guys. You can always email us at thenerdrm at gmail.com. Our Twitter handles are at the end of the episode. We're always all hanging out on Twitter, so you can grab us there. You can also comment on our Facebook or YouTube pages. All right, guys, until <laughs> next week when we return in our normal Thursday slot to discuss all things comics and movies. For the Nerd Room, I'm Tim. I'm Troy. I'm Sanjay. Ah! <laughs> and thank you for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim and Troy, on Twitter at TheNerdRM and TroyTheBoy87. Don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search The Nerd Room Podcast. Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find other podcasts on the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Generation X-Wing, Tumbling Saber, Rogue Squadron Podcast, and the Skyhopper Podcast. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SWCommonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world.